what can what can I do and who can I learn about who can make the work-life balance of the entire team in the office better? Mm-hmm. So going to work is fun. Going to work in your profession is joyous. Or you can work with your teammates and love your profession and not go home so stressed because dentistry is hard. It's stressful. This is Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast where we ask the question, what does growth in dentistry look like to you? I'm Katie Polson, a dental hygienist and your host. Welcome to another episode of Growth in Dentistry. Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to invite you to join our Facebook Dental Intelligence community. And also, if you'd be so generous to go and rate and review this podcast, we appreciate it so much. I read every comment. Also, if you want to, if we want to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, uh, concerns, go to our Facebook or our podcast page, excuse me, at dentalintel.com. Now for our show today, I am just super excited. I've got my, I have my trusty co-host, Emily Duncan, who I've never had with me before. She's in our Chicago office and I'm here in Utah. Emily is the director of business development and she gets to introduce our esteemed guests today that we're so excited to hear from. Take it away, Emily. Hi, everybody. I am so excited to introduce Deborah today. So I just um, had the pleasure to meet and start working with Deborah a couple of months ago. Um, but so Deborah's got a super interesting story after starting off as a dental technician. Um, she actually went to school to become a dentist and then owned and operated her private practice for 20 years. Um, and then after leaving her practice, Deborah went on to practice dentistry in every place you can imagine, including um, associateships, corporate dentistry, military, prisons, you name it. Um, It seems like she's done it. Um, And all of these experiences ultimately led her to start her own company, Dental Staffing, which is how we were introduced. Um, And Dental Staffing's goal is to help dental professionals find the right fit for employees and employers. So we're super excited to have her with us today. (laughs) Um, so I want to ask you really quickly with that, with that background, I know this is not, um, what we talked about, but I want to know what you're, if you've worked in the military and the prisons and all sorts, do you have a favorite clientele? Cause I do out of the ones that I've worked with. I wonder, do you have a favorite, a favorite group of people you served? Who, who is it? Elderly. Yeah. Population and, um, and the, and the, and the medically challenged or the, yeah, the medically challenged, the mentally challenged, your uh-huh. downs, your downs patients. They're, they're so sweet. They're so wonderful. They're um, so loving. So yes. Yeah. The- I think it says a lot about a person when they, when they say that. Yeah. My, I worked at the, was able to work at the VA hospital and I just, I love working with the veterans. So I figured you might have a favorite. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, we are talking, we're continuing our conversation on staffing and staffing pain. And this is uh, quickly become the number one topic in dentistry right now, everywhere. I feel like everybody's talking about it and just in the nation in general, I think it's safe to say that all over the country, people are feeling the effects of the staffing issue. Mm-hmm. And you've been playing, you've been playing the staffing game for, for a while now, and you know a lot about it. So we're so lucky to be able to pick your brain on it. Um, and also you have some out of the box ideas, I think, to fix staffing pain um, in, a, in, in a staffing shortage. And, and I think um, they're clever and I'd like to explore them. So I'm super excited. So there is, um, as I was reading some of the information about you, you've got this and you got it 
tell me about the idea of filling an open hygiene role with an associate dentist, because my knee jerk reaction as a hygienist was like, no, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But as I read your article, I love the idea and I, it made me think about it in a different way. And I think we need to get clever and, and out of the box right now. So tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it came to my mind because it happened, it happened to me. Um, There's a lot of dental hygienists that go on dental school. There were eight in my class and some Mm -hmm. of them have specialized. They're pretty special people. And I, I, first of all, I'd like to start by saying I was not good at running my practice. I was not good as a leader in my practice, but over the years I have chosen to study other venues and figure out better ways of doing things. So when I lost my job as a, as an associate last March, I was out of work for a while. And then um, a company called me, it's in in Oregon, they have these uh, offices called denturists and they hire dentists and hygienists to take care of their patients before they get partials and dentures. And I, they had lost both their dentist and their hygienist. And I stepped in and took on both roles and it, and, it, and it helped them in two ways. It had someone to pick up the slack of their dentistry, but it also helped them realize that their dental hygiene department really needed to be taken a close look at because it wasn't producing the kind of dentistry that it should be. Um, there was really no periodontal program in place at all. One of the things I've been hearing at these conventions is hygienists are coming in and asking for these incredibly large amounts of money. And young dental associates are making that kind of money. So if they lost their job and they're looking to fill a position and perhaps move into a higher position given time, it would be a perfect opportunity for a doctor owner to have them on board to take care of emergencies, to anesthetize, to go over medical histories, to put in, put in place practices. Let's say for example, a doctor owner with a client of, of dental intelligence. Let's say that they took the program on how to make your hygiene department more profitable. What should, what should you be doing to make that department more profitable? Because it should be. So if they took that, that, that program, but they're booked with all this cosmetic and restorative dentistry, a dental associate could step in and help the office manager who still has to run the office on a day-to-day basis. Their plate is pretty full and put those programs in place. Yeah. I love, I love the idea of being able to use an associate for also introducing them. You said, mentioned introducing them to um, your patient's base. You know, it was a really great way of opening up your patient base to somebody else working in their mouth, which um, in our, you know, my practice in Salt Lake, we've got my, I say my, cause it was a family practice to associates. <laughs> um, and you know, my, my brother and my dad at, at, at one point, and, um, we've been there for so long that it was, you know, somebody new coming into this situation is a little intimidating for our patients. And so, uh, I think it's a great way. I mean, cause as a hygienist, I spend the majority of the time with the patient. Right. And then the doctor comes in. So right. I thought, I thought that was a really clever way of introducing your, your patients to a, a potential permanent dentist in for your sure. practice. Yeah. Yeah. The pendulum sure. is going to swing. Yes. It's not. Yeah. 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 It won't, it won't stay this way forever, but I love, I love, I liked that idea 
um, just to, for the initial kind of shock that everybody's kind of having to work (laughs) through right now. Um, So let's move on to uh, discussing filling a dental assistant role, which um, I know people are struggling with. They struggled with it before the pandemic and the struggle with it during, and I'm sure we'll struggle with it after, but the idea of training, training up a dental assistant isn't a new one. However, you've got some great ideas on taking someone new to the industry and getting them to work. And they're not just like, Hey, choose someone from Starbucks and put them in that role, but they're like really actionable ideas. So go ahead and tell us, tell us about that a little bit. Well, I'm the person at at my company that looks at all the resumes before they're posted because I want to be sure of who I'm posting. And you're right. I would not accept a resume from someone who was working at Starbucks, but I had, I've had some medical assistants come on board who um, are interested in moving into dentistry. And though they're not certified, they certainly could come on board. I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of dentists and, 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 and I know for myself, this is probably true. They don't realize how much a dental assistant actually does in a day. I mean, they see the garbage empty, but do they really think about that? She did that when she had two seconds because mm-hmm. it was going to overflow. I mean, they, there's a lot of things they do that are not patient related that if you were to bring on a, another kind of professional who could, could break down room operatories, who could turn rooms, who could do some sterilization, who could clean the floors, who could empty garbage, who could seat and bib the patient, who could go over a medical history and take blood pressures. That would free up the certified assistant or the EFTA to be able to stay by the doctor's side and do patient care. And maybe in time, that person might decide, well, maybe I want to go to dental assisting school. And, and if it were me as, as the doctor owner, if that person was the right person, I, I would even consider helping them financially do that if they agreed to come back and work for me for a given period of time. Yeah. And in some states, you know, it's not necessarily required to, to have that. So if you were, you were right. wanting to train up, then you definitely could. But I like, I and mean, that's how I got my start. I mean, I just, I started, I started flipping rooms. I'm, I'm with my, it was my dad's practice, right? So I would go right. in and I would do all the sterilization and I would flip rooms and I, oh my, the countless amount of files that I scanned into, ugh, it was the worst. That was the worst <laughs> job, but it got me into the idea of thinking about being in a practice. Um, and, and yeah, they don't need to have a dental background to be able to do any of that. No, they don't. Well, and that, it makes so much sense to me because you can, it's a great way to learn about a person and you can see the work ethic and you can see, um, the, the way that they operate, you know, the, the happiness they bring to an office, the presence and all of that stuff isn't teachable, but the rest is, you know, so if they come in and they're like this tornado of, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be great to be around and really add a good positive energy to an office. The rest you can teach, you know, so I can, I love that approach that you don't need to find, you know, the perfect skills on paper necessarily. It's, it's the work ethic that's behind all of that, that you can then coach into exactly what you're looking for from that, that perspective. So that makes so much sense to me, especially when there is a a shortage right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Uh, the, The other thing that I wanted to talk about was, really for the maybe the majority of the time here is talking about knowing when to fire and the best practices for letting an employee go. I know just from my uh, experience. So in my graduate degree, I studied conflict in dentistry and 
Interesting. Dentists are notoriously not that great at conflict. I know that's a generalization, (laughs) but they just kind of aren't. So um, knowing when to fire is is a huge conflict for a lot of practices, many, and this isn't just subject to dentistry, but many people let their employees, they leave them on for way longer than they even know that they want to just, just for fear of that conflict. So tell me your experience with letting people go and, um, and, and all of that. Cause I know it's probably the hardest part of running a team. So what advice can you give on that topic? Well, I, I it, it is really hard. Um, but but you have to keep just one thing in the back of your mind. You really are only as good as your weakest link. You really are. Um, having worked in the corporate world of dentistry, um, there first of all, there should be a very strong um, office manual with everyone's job description, mm-hmm. all of the expectations of duties, requirements of the job, et cetera, et cetera. Because there's many reasons why you might fire someone, maybe an attitude or poor performance or harassment, or they create too much drama in the office. But I think it's important to, when you have an issue like that, it's called three strikes and you're out. You call them, you you, you bring them in and sit them down and talk to them about what you're seeing and what you need to see changed um, and ask them, what can I do to help you make this change? Um, Over time, I mean, they're given 30 days to make a change if they don't make the change, they're talked to again about what needs to happen or are you struggling with trying to make this happen? And each time you meet with that person, I think it's very important to document your meeting with them mm-hmm. and have both parties sign and date. Um, the third time, it's, it's over. I mean, they're asked to, to leave. I've made so many mistakes in letting people go I, I, I think of a time when I had a, an entire staff come in um, and tell me that if I did not fire the office manager, they were all going to walk. Mm. And that was difficult. Um, how it was handled wasn't correct. Um, I should have actually set that person down and said, the entire team wants me to let you go or they're going to walk. What should I do? Um, but I didn't handle it that way. And um, I, that was a huge lesson learned. Of course, we don't we don't learn unless we make mistakes. But but documenting three strikes and you're out. You meet them once. Everything's in writing. Everything's signed. Everything's dated, and then they're gone. Most most people, if they see the writing on the wall, will start looking for another individual. And that's why on my site at dentalstaffing.org, we like to um, start looking in advance. And you can do it anonymously if you want to. So nobody has to know that anyone's looking. So that's that's how I would see that I would prefer to have it done, that have everything in writing. Yeah, that's Fine great, great advice. Thank you for being so transparent about that. Because we really, I mean, we only learn by the way, the, the mistakes that we make, right? And right. I feel like your advocacy of the person, you know, just, just what can I do to help you succeed in this position right. and give them time? Um, what time frame do you think would be appropriate after you've given that second strike before you end up firing them? Because you've probably given them 30 days. Do you give them another 30 days or what do you no. think? No, it would probably be a couple of weeks. Okay. Because they should, after two, after two notifications, the average human being 
can see the writing on the wall. I mean, I've yeah. got to make this change or they're going to let me go. Right. Um, so within 10 days, which is two weeks business, um, you, you're going to know if they, some people just can't make the change. I had an assistant. I loved her to death, but she was constantly late to work, mm. constantly late back from lunch. And it was a corporate situation and they talked to her about it twice and they had to let her go. And I loved working with her, but they had to let her go. Yeah. So I was starting patients by myself. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's some great advice and great actual advice that, you know, a dentist new to this whole thing can really use. So thank you so much for sharing that. I love, I love the way, and I think Katie kind of spoke to this, but the way that you can talk about, you know, a mistake you've made, I just love because I think it makes a topic like topic like this, that's kind of unapproachable sometimes a lot more approachable because as you said, and I think, um, as I was learning about you before this too, um, you love the practice of dentistry, the practice of you know, owning and managing people in a business is not something you, you know, at least at one point loved as much, but <laughs> being able to talk about that and say that and admit that I think isn't something people are super comfortable to admit in dentistry, even though that's the case for so many dentists that I talk to as well. It's like, I was passionate and I have always loved the clinical side, the dentistry side, you know, I didn't get XYZ training and in, in the business side. And so I just, I love the way you're able to talk about it. Cause I think it makes other people able to talk about it and then learn, you know, cause you can't really learn if you don't know where you need to learn. Right. Yeah. So it's just, it, I love it. <laughs> yeah. That was great. So we asked the same question to every guest on our podcast and it is because growth is so personal. It's such a broad topic and it can mean so many things to so many different people, especially in the different stages of your, your career. So what do you think to you, what does growth in dentistry look like to you now where you're at in your profession? Well, I'm, I'm far removed from clinical dentistry. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved cosmetics. I studied it and studied it. Uh, um, I needed to learn, um, how the, how the joint worked. That was really important to me. And all that was clinical. And at the same time, I had so many problems with the business of dentistry at that time. So right now I am far removed from clinical dentistry. My, my look at the future of dentistry, first of all, I'd like to see, I'd like to see medicine and dentistry become a little bit more cohesive. Yeah. It's there's so in veterinarian medicine, dentistry is a specialty. So mm -hmm. we're doing it for our animals, but we're, but we're not doing it for people. And I realize that veterinarians um, don't restore teeth, but the body is all one source. So I, I, that's one thing I'd really like to see. And I probably in my lifetime won't see. But the other part, you know, I, I knew that I had problems in my practice and it wasn't with my dentistry. Um, and I hired two consultants, um, tens of thousands of dollars later, neither one of them ever set foot in my practice or sent me anywhere to learn anything about what the problems were in my practice. So what I look at today and what's exciting for me today is to get to learn these companies. Well, like Dental Intel, for example, when I, when I walked away from your, um, I believe it was like a webinar, it was an interactive webinar on the morning huddle. 
I thought, how fun would that be for a team to know the production for today, to understand we're running a business, to know that there's treatment that's not completed, and there's relatives who have treatment not completed, and make it a game of, we got to reach our goal today, and we're not there. So what do we have to do to make ourselves get there? Or a company like um, Insight Hiring. I don't know if you've heard of Insight Hiring. They have this program, the 15-minute sit-down task. Let's say you've narrowed your pool of candidates for office manager down to three. And you know that people can fool you on their resume. And you know that how someone interviews has nothing to do with, with their job performance. So what do you do? Who do you hire? Who, who, who do you pick? I've made mistakes there too. And then our inside hiring has this program. They can, they can determine your, your, your work ethic, how you make decisions, how you handle stress. And it's supposed to be foolproof. And I'm very, I'm going to take the test here in a couple of days. And I'm very excited <laughs> to see how it comes out. Or companies like um, dental office support, they do your insurance for you out of the office. Yeah. How neat is that to not have to deal with insurance? They, they help you with appeals and denials. They even post your payments. I mean, yeah. DocPay, which is way cheaper type of credit card company for your office to save you tens of thousands of dollars over years. So that's where I'm interested in. What can, what can I do and who can I learn about who can make the work-life balance of the entire team in the office better? Mm-hmm. So going to work is fun. Going to work in your profession is joyous. Or you can work with your teammates and love your profession and not go home so stressed. Because dentistry is hard. It's stressful. And there, these companies weren't around when I was a young dentist. And they're very, to me, they're the most exciting part of the future of dentistry. We would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's been so great to get to know you. Thank you so much for, for being here with us. Uh, Anything else? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it it was our pleasure. Anything else that we missed that you wanted to cover? I, I, I feel like it was, it was so great, but Okay. Well, this has been Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast. Uh, special thanks again to our lovely, lovely guest. You can find her at info at dentalstaffing.org. Uh, the link will be in our show notes, or you can just go to dentalstaffing.org. You can uh, find that link in our show notes or by visiting our webpage at dentalintel.com. And again, thank you so much to Emily Duncan for being with me today here uh, as my trusty co-host. And thank you again to our marketing department for all of their work on this podcast. I'm Katie Polson. Keep growing.